It's great to uh, be singing Christmas carols. I love singing Christmas carols. It was great to be here last night um, and to get a bit of a picture of the future as this room was a little bit more full and be singing uh, Christmas carols with uh, a number of others. Um, wonderful to have some guests there and just really encouraged from the, uh, from the evening. And thank you so much to everybody who, who was there to help it run and, to, and who planned uh, in, in preparing for it. Uh, a real success and so we're looking forward to doing more and more things like that in the future as we reach this community that the Lord has given us in North Hull to preach the gospel as we've been called here as Freedom Church. That's why we've planted this church, that's why we've come here is because we believe that the Lord has called us to preach the gospel and to be a faithful gospel community here in North Hull. Um, that, is, that is the mission of the church. It's not to be uh, just to gather, although we are gathered to God in joy uh, and to enjoy him, we are also gathered to be sent. That's the, that's the, uh, the call that Jesus gives his people, isn't it? That, you know, all authority has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples. As I've made you, go and make others. And so that's what we, we do as we're here in North Hall. We are, uh, we are wanting to be faithful to that the call uh, that Jesus has given his church and we are uh, living in, in faith of that promise that he says I will build my church I'm not leaving you to it I'm not leaving you as orphans the Holy Spirit will go with you before you I will be with you throughout it all and so we kind of we're here doing that we've been in a series uh, these last uh, few months uh, just along with Jubilee uh, which is this church that has planted us in the city centre uh, we have been doing a joint series with them called He Is, and we've been looking at the character and attributes of God. And we've, we've looked, we've heard a few of those this morning already. We're going to continue to do that um, this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Now, so over the last few months, as I say, we've been in He Is, and then the last few weeks in our time building up to Christmas in our Advent, this Advent season, we've been zooming in on this particular passage to continue to look at the attributes of God through Jesus, the one who would be revealed uh, as the one who was going to fully reveal and fulfill the promises of God. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to be reading from verse 6 and 7. And it should appear on the screen at least one verse. I'm sorry I didn't give the, uh, the tech team enough time. Uh, I didn't tell them what I was doing. So we're going to be reading verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. For to us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, uh, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So as I say, we're zooming in on this uh, passage over the last few weeks. We've been looking at each one of those things. Uh, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And today we're zooming in on, on that, that, what it means for Jesus to be mighty God. Um, We've, as I say, we've, we've been looking at these different attributes of God and we've seen that he is, he is a father, he is good, he is uh, steadfast, he is sure, he is love. We've, we've looked at each of these things and we've found in each of these things that, 
that what is said in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 that, that Jesus is you know, many times in many ways God has spoken to our fathers through the prophets but now in these last days says the writer to the Hebrews he has revealed himself through his son Jesus who is the exact imprint of the nature of God and we've seen that again and again as we've been going through this series when we've looked at God as good, where have we seen his goodness most displayed? It's been in the character and person of Jesus. And where have we seen his steadfastness, his love? It's been there. Where have we seen his lordship and his rule? It's in Christ. And again and again we've been directed to and drawn to Jesus. We've seen that what the writer of the Hebrews says is true. God reveals himself most fully in his son, Jesus, so that Jesus can say, without scruple, when his disciples say, when are you going to show us the Father? Jesus says to them, how long have you been with me? And you don't know. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the perfect image of God. He is the perfect image of God. All humanity is called to, to bear the image of God. We, we're told early on in Scripture that's, that's what the call on humanity is to be people who, when you look at them, that's what happens when an image, some people try and make uh, uh, humans being image bearers into um, all sorts of different things and whatever else it might mean um, in terms of being a bit like God, what it means is when you look at a human, you ought to think about God, right? That ought to be what happens. There is a reflection there. Just as when you walk through the city centre and you see a statue, you, you don't think about the materials that that's made of necessarily. You think of the person that it's an image of. That's what should happen. That's what we ought to be in the world. That when people see us, they see what God is like. And so we become almost a, a means by which people can see the glory of God. And that's the call on all humanity. And we see as we follow that story that, that we fail in that. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glorious call that we've been called to. And so we are broken images, hazy, still image bearers, but it doesn't quite line up as it should. Jesus appears on the scene, I am the perfect display of the image of God. The wonderful thing is we've, as we've been going through this series again and again, we've been saying, you know, that we now, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, we now, with unveiled face, beholding the, the glorious image of God, are now being transformed into that same image, um, from one degree of glory to another. As we see God for who he is, we find ourselves transformed more and more. That's, that's what happens when we come to Scripture, that's what happens in moments like this. Our eyes are lifted to who God is, and we're transformed to be more and more like him. And I hope that's something that we've all experienced through the course of this series. I hope that's been something that we've felt as we've seen the goodness of God. We've, we've found ourselves caught up in it, enjoying it, but also transformed by it to be more and more like him. That wonderful call that God gives to his people, you shall be holy as I am holy. That's the heart that I carry as, as a teacher in the church. It's that we would be more and more like him and display more and more the glory of God in this place. None of that was in my notes, so I'm, I'm going to have to find myself now. Um, <clears throat> so this is, this is the amazing thing about the Christmas story, is that Jesus comes and is the image of God to us. He is mighty God. 
This, this incredible thing that I, I imagine probably boggled the minds of the people who first received that uh, prophetic word from Isaiah. The one who's going to come, who's going to be this, this, what, this light in the darkness, this, this one who's going to be born of a virgin, this, this baby, he's going to be all these things, but as well as all of these other things, um, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, he's also going to be mighty God. Uh, imagine as they, as they first received, how, does that, how is that going to work? God says, no, I'm not going to send you a representative only. I myself will come and be uh, among you. It's not going to be, you know, the person who's going to come and rescue and reveal, who's going to fulfil those promises that we've seen, is not going to be a, a priest or a prophet or an angel. Although he, Hebrews, Hebrews makes the point that Jesus is, exceeds all of those things, although fulfils all of those things as well. He is the great prophet. He is the great priest. He is the uh, he is above the angels. Hebrews makes the point, he fulfills all those roles, but he's far beyond them. He is not just a representative. He is God himself. This God who is absolute reality, outside of creation, not part of creation, but outside it, who says, who is totally unchanging, as, as, as Phil's reminded us again this morning, totally unchanging, He doesn't wake up different to how he went to bed. He is the same uh, today, uh, yesterday and forevermore. And he he is not changed by anything. He reveals himself to Moses as I am. I just am. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am. Nothing. uh, I'm dependent on nothing. Everything is dependent on me. This God who stands outside creation and upholds creation by the word of his power... We're told in Hebrews, talking to Jesus there, he enters creation. That is, that is mind-blowing. This God who upholds everything and is not in creation, enters creation and still stands outside it. It is wonderful and mind-blowing. God enters creation as a creature, uncreated. And still has no beginning, still has no end, still is unchanging. Not only does he do this, but he enters the creation that is in rebellion against him. Enters the rebellious kingdom as a a man. Romans, we're told, Romans 8, that that wonderful, possibly the most incredible chapter that's in the Bible, if you're allowed to say that. (laughs) He says, he taking on the likeness of sinful flesh, comes to redeem uh, to redeem us and, and, and to fulfil the law which was weakened by the flesh or do what the law uh, weakened by the flesh could not do Jesus comes takes on flesh, that's what incarnation means, takes on flesh fulfils the law, is what we should have been and God at the same time and that's the wonderful message of Christmas is that he came not speaking through a representative as we say but now face to face through the person of his son. And this is powerful. Those, those first lines in Hebrews chapter 1 should, should mesmerise us and excite us for this God who is not far off, who is not distant, who doesn't stand at a distance and bark orders at us, but who comes and meets with us and wants to be with us. 
powerful, as I say, but it's also contained within that is a challenge, right? Many times, many ways, he's spoken to us through the prophets. Now, in these last days, he's revealed himself through his son. The challenge there is, this is, this is the revelation. There's nothing else coming. This is, this is the, the revelation of God. If you don't receive Jesus, you reject God. Because this is the perfect representation of who he is. If you reject Jesus, you reject the Father. There is no way to get to the Father except through him. Jesus kind of, he, he, he unpacks this more explicitly in that parable of the tenants. One of the lesser known parables, but it's one of the story that Jesus tells. He says, you know, there was a, there was a, 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 a landowner who built a vineyard and he, he made it right. He built towers, he put the vineyard in and he let it out to some tenants. And, they, and, and then when the time came for the fruit to be collected, he sent, he, uh, he sent servants to go and collect the his portion of fruit, as, as, as is normal in those days for the landowner to go and collect. And the tenants, they beat up the servants. He sends another one, they, they stone him and leave him outside. They, they send another one and they threaten to kill him. Finally, the, the landowner sends his own son. He sends his own son. This is it. They will not reject my son. This is the final opportunity. He sends the son and they kill the son. They say to themselves, here, let's take the son, kill him, and we can have his inheritance. Bad reasoning. Jesus then asks, what does the landowner do? People listen and say, well, surely he comes and he casts out these guys and he replaces them with others. Jesus says, that's exactly what's happening. And that's what will happen, he says, to the religious leaders, those who reject this revelation, me, of the Father, they will be cast out and there'll be others invited in. This, Jesus says, is the final revelation of who God is. It's in me. It's in me. Failure to keep the law is one thing. Failure to receive the Son of God when he comes is entirely another. God, who offers himself freely to us, not merely a representative, as said, but come to reveal. Amazingly, we get this, um, we get a kind of a glimpse of this, that story of Moses on, on, Mount, uh, uh, <clears throat> on, on the mountain as, as he meets with God, uh, having already walked with, God, with God's people for, for a while, God seeing the failure again and again of the people of Israel, who he's rescued at this point from slavery in Egypt, brings them out, uh, God says, I have had enough. These people are, these people are sinful. And they are, uh, 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 they are twisted in their ways. And I, so I'm not going with you. I'm going to give you the promised land because I promised it to you. But I'm not going with you. I'll send somebody else. I'll send an angel to guide you, to lead you there, to show you the way. But I, as for me, I will not be with you. And Moses, in that moment, inspired by the Holy Spirit, prays, no, God, if you don't come with us, we're not going. We're going to stay on this mountain because it's better to have you than this promised land. We would rather have you than anything else. There's an amazing lesson there for us, I think. How often I think we sometimes get so enamored by the gifts of God that we forget that the giver, that they're always meant to point us to the giver. You know, Moses there has this revelation of, 
these gifts are not worth anything if they're not also attached to the, to the hand that gives them. This is, this, is, this is what makes them precious, is that they come from God. I don't want the land. I want you. I want you to be my inheritance, not the land. And so easily, Christians, I, I, this is just a bit of an aside. As Christians, I think we can so easily get caught up, enamoured by the gifts that God gives. And forget that they were always meant to point us to him. Gifts like platform in church, or gifts like uh, a steady income, or a family, or friends, those, whatever it might be. If any giftedness or opportunity, you think, actually, if, I, if, you, if you find yourself thinking, I'd rather have that than not have that and have God, then you've not reached the point that Moses has reached. And, oh, I long for us to have reached that point as a church and as individuals. That's what I want, that I will just know him better at the cost of everything else. That's Paul in Philippians. Forget what lies behind. Press on to the upward call of God in Christ. To have him. To lay hold of him. The one who was given on Christmas. That's what I want. That's what I want. Again, not in my notes. Um, I hope no one is keeping time, by the way. Um, but we'll press on. Um, yes, yeah, so, so this is kind of... So Moses kind of has a bit of a foretaste of this. As he says, no, I, I want you. I want you to go with us. And unknowingly, Moses is praying for what God had always planned in eternity past that he would do. That he would be. He was going to be Emmanuel. He was going to be God with us. And Moses, unknowingly, is praying for the very prayer that God himself has always wanted to answer. I will be with my people. I will be with my people. You look at the prophets, that's, that's what they look ahead to, to the day that the glory of God and, and man live together. I will be with my people. Moses is, again, Moses kind of, it's interesting there, you, see, you kind of get this picture of, of the sovereignty of God, God who plans all things and works all things according to his will. Peter talks in the beginning of Acts about how Jesus was was delivered up according to the definite plan of God. You know, God has his plan. And yet, we, part of God's plan is that he is moved by prayer. God, in his sovereignty, has decided that part of the way that he is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish is by the prayers of his people. I think we should read that story and think, I'm going to pray more. I'm full of faith to pray because I know that, that as I do... As I pray according to the will of God, as we're told in 1 John chapter 5, if I pray according to the will of God, uh, 1 John 5, 14, I will be, receive the promises of God in fulfilment. That's something that we see there in Moses and something we should be encouraged by. Um, now, how... Is Emmanuel going to come about? How is that prayer going to be fully and finally revealed? Well, we see that kind of in, in, in this baby called Mighty God. Not many people, when looking at a baby, would say, wow, they look pretty mighty. But it's, just not, it's just not where might is found. And yet we see in the, kind of the, the, that Christmas story, again, something that God loves to do. He loves to kind of skirt around the world's understanding of strength, 
of wisdom, of power. In Corinth, uh, in Paul's writings in Corinthians, again, he says uh, to he says to them, you know, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and He chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You know, the foolishness of God is is, is wiser than the wisdom of man. He, God, God, in His wisdom, has made it such that that nobody, by their strength or by their own wisdom, will find their way to Him. It's it's humbly accepting a story that sounds foolish and childish. That's how He's revealed Himself, mighty God, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, upholding the word, the world, that world and all creation by the word of His power. Amazing, amazing. mind and wisdom of God comes as a child not not in unapproachable grandeur but humbly into a crowded room and then quickly a refugee as we follow the story in Matthew we're told in yeah he comes into our small lives and humbly in order that he can call us into his life and his grandeur so as we've sung, we're royalty, royal priesthood. What a thing to be called. Now we're called, Paul calls them again and again, the church you refers to them as the holy ones of God. That's what saints mean. The holy ones of God. That's what we are. Because he came into our lowliness and our humility and said, enter into my life and my grandeur, my royalty. We're told in Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with us. He, what it means for God to be Emmanuel is that he is with us. He has suffered as we suffer and more. He has been tempted as we've been tempted and more. And resisted every time. That's what Emmanuel means. It means we're not dealing with a high priest who's there holier than thou, barking orders at us from afar. No, he, is, he is with us. That's the, that's the promise that we kind of, as I began, reminding us of the, the promise that Jesus gives to his church. All authority has been given to me, therefore go. Don't be afraid, I'm going to be with you till the end. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm there with you. He is there. And actually, the, kind of the writer of the Hebrews then goes on from that says, from saying, you know, he's, he's, he's not unsympathetic, he's, he's with us. He says, and that means we can approach with confidence. We can approach him with confidence. And it becomes, again, an encouragement for us to pray. You know, in Philippians 4, you know, we're told, the Lord is at hand. Therefore, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't just say, Paul doesn't, isn't just happy to say, don't worry, don't be anxious. He gives us good reasons. The first good reason he gives is, the Lord is at hand. He is here. He's with you. He's with you. Whatever you're in, he's there with you. He's not just on the other end of the phone, whenever you need me. He is there in the room, whatever you're facing, he's with you. This becomes an argument of Paul's, actually, as he's, as he's helping uh, the church to see some of the things that they shouldn't be doing. He says, don't you know Jesus is with you when you do that? When you, when you uh, bind yourself to the prostitute, Jesus is there in the room. He's with you. 
so Paul is going to say this is, this is an encouragement to you to not worry and it's an encouragement for you to live in the way that he's called you to because he's with you he is Emmanuel God with us the God who walks with us guards us Jesus arrives on the scene and remains with his people now as we come through the story of the New Testament we see that um, this is something that only God could do there's another, a represent, another representative wouldn't have been able to do what God did in the person of Jesus in revealing himself and in reconciling us to him he took the offended party so we, we have wronged God. And David, when he, he commits his great sin, he says, he breaks down in prayer and says, you and you alone have I wronged. And Jesus, that story of the, uh, as Jesus is teaching in the house, the, the ceiling begins to open, the man comes uh, lowered down, uh, paralyzed man. Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees say, saying to themselves, Who's this man who thinks he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus, knowing what they're saying in their hearts, turns to them and says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk? And he says, to prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I, should, I say this, get up and walk. He pulls the man to his feet and he goes free. For these guys watching, as Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, that's blasphemy. Because God, it's like me, if I was walking down the road, and I think I've used this example before, it's like if I was walking down the road and I see Brian getting pushed into the back of a police car, as often I have. Um, if, I, if, I, if I see that and I go up to the police, I, go up to, I push my way past the police, I forgive you, go I'm likely to be pushed in the back of the car with him, right? Because it's not my law that's been broken. And I'm not the one party that's been wrong, so I don't have the choice to say that. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's claiming those things. It's my law that's been broken, and I'm the one who's been wronged. And I can say to you, you're forgiven, you're free. Only God could do this. Only God could do this. To say all of us have fallen short of our call to, to, uh, to live in the way that God would have us live, to be those image bearers, to show the glory of God to the world. All of us had fallen short. So Jesus comes, as we've seen, as the perfect image bearer. Living in the glory of God. Displaying the glory of God. Takes on the likeness, as we said, of sinful flesh. And yet, being what we should always have been. And more. Displaying the glory of God. It's an idea that's so offensive to so many. You know, you try telling a Muslim that God became a man. Cringe. Oh. Even the ancient Greeks, they found it difficult. Because in their heads, you know, the physical was dirty and the spiritual was detached. Jesus says that the plan was that the world would always display God. Would always glorify God. It's not dirty. It's fallen. It's messed up. It's not doing its job, but I'm coming to break into that world and to redeem it and to restore it. He shows us God, which, as we say, brings us transformation. We, now, with unveiled face.
seeing the glory of God being transformed from one degree to another, the same glorious image. He fulfills our calling on our behalf and he brings salvation from the results of our ongoing rebellion against him. He saves us from the wrath that we earned for ourselves, giving us freedom from our guilt, giving us that relationship with God that we were always called to walk in. That comes because Jesus was willing to empty himself and enter the world. Christ, says Paul to Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying, Christ came into the world to save sinners. So, uh, 1 Timothy 1.15 Christ came into the world to save sinners. Emptying himself. Considering the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You think, what kind of king steps down from his throne and, and leaves the throne room to enter a messy world, my messy life, to take on my mess and die for his subject, his rebellious subject. What kind of king does that? I'll tell you, this king, this king that we've been looking at week after week for the last few months, this king does this, willing to lay it down for me. Um, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he has this, 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 this he says this as he's, as he's writing, you know, that the love of he describes the way that we love and the way that God loves are altogether different. He says, the way that we love is we look out for things that are lovely to us, that, are, that, are, that appeal to us. And we search them out and we say, I love you. God's love is altogether different. God's love seeks out not what is loving, what appears lovely to it, but creates what is lovely. God's love comes to what is ugly and broken and transforms it and makes it beautiful. That's what the love of God is like. It seeks us out. Paul says, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. God has given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. The name Jesus means God saves. I think that's just something that we should bear in mind when we read that passage. That name, God saves, is the name that is above every name. Who is God? How does God ultimately reveal himself to his people? As the saviour who is willing to uh, go to all lengths to, to rescue and redeem and to demonstrate his, glo- his, his, glo- his love and his glory to the world. And I think that lays down some challenges on our, at our door. What are we, we going to do? We who are called to imitate that. Paul says in that passage in Philippians, I'm just going to end with this. He says in that passage in Philippians, you know, this mindset, talking of considering others more important than yourself, we'd be willing to, to, to take the hit for other people, being willing to lay down your life for the people. This mindset, says Paul, is yours in Christ. It is yours. It's not something to, 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 to try and achieve. No, Christ is yours. If you've received Jesus, you've received this mindset. Live, then, says Paul, according to this thing that Jesus has given you. Consider others more important than yourself. 
you know, as we come to Christmas and we, we remember again that story, it's easy for it to, to, to become the, the quaint nativity scene that we see on our Christmas cards and in shop windows and we see our kids perform at school every year and forget that this is the God of all creation, great I am, who is entering the messy broken world to die to save messy broken me. And I think it's just something, again, we need to fix our minds on. We're going to go back again into to worship and, and just be enjoying uh, that truth again. Um, but as we do, I just wonder if you just consider these things again. God has given himself to us. He revealed himself. He's not left us to our best guesses. This has been something that we've seen again and again through this series. He's not left us to our best guesses. The philosophers have toyed at trying to define God for thousands of years. They've not got very far. Jesus enters the world and says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. That you have made yourself known to us. Wonderfully, perfectly, gloriously in your Son. And God, I thank you that, that the work of that revelation means now that we get to enjoy that status too. Those who receive your Son also get to be called children of the Most High God. Oh, I thank you that that is a status. That is a, that is a title that I can wear. Not something I could have earned for myself. As if. As if. Because of what you did. Because of what you were willing to do. It is. Lord, I pray for this Christmas time. As we gather with family, whatever it might look like for each of us, that you would be there at the centre with us. God with us. Mighty and powerful. Revealing yourself to us again. Amen.